Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. I am your host, Marie-Pierre, and for all my English friends out there, you can call me Marie. I am a registered dietitian with a background in psychology. My passion in life is to help individuals heal their relationship with food and their bodies. If you're tired of dieting and tired of restriction, you are at the right place. I'm hoping that this podcast will help and support you as you heal your own relationship with food and your body and give you the tools, the resources, and the knowledge that you need to finally ditch the diets. Every week, you will be hearing from guest experts and myself on all things food, body, and mind. I am so happy that you're here and I cannot wait to support you on your journey. Let's get started. everyone welcome back to the podcast I hope that you're doing so good okay I want to pull you how do we feel about me singing the word podcast every time I was like listening to a bunch of my different episodes to see like what topics that we wanted to bring on and all that good stuff and I'm like why am I singing the word podcast all of the time like this is just kind of on um anyways here we are today I hope that you are doing so 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 well though if you've been following me on Instagram you know that I literally just got married last Friday which is if you're listening to this as this podcast comes out July 1st 2022 Anthony and I got married and it is so exciting I'm probably going to do another episode on this as I'm recording this like I haven't gotten married yet but when this is released I'm getting married. So I will, I can't really talk about it because the, the experience hasn't happened, but I will be recording another episode on it, or I'll probably be sharing on, on my Instagram. So if you want all the details, go follow me on IG. All I can tell you not having lived it yet is that it's going to be so good. <laughs> um, but today, my friends, we are having Katie on the podcast. So Katie is a dietitian at The Balance Practice. So she has been working on my team since January 2022. So in the last six months, and she is such an amazing person, an amazing soul, and such a wonderful provider. I'm so excited for us to have her on the podcast today. And today we have decided to talk about healing your food relationship and food access. This is a topic that Katie is very passionate about, having worked in the community for such a long time. We wanted to talk about the different layers that comes with healing your relationship with food. I think on social media and even like myself, like when I talk about food relationship, say, you know, it's accessible to all and we can all work on it. And we need to think about context, right? That we don't all have the same privileges to work on the relationship in the same way. The work on your food relationship will depend on what we do, who we are, what we have access to. So this conversation is so, so good. And I'm so glad to have like members on the team who like know about these nuances and who are able to really hold space for folks that they meet where they are at. And Katie's like exactly that provider. She is so, so, so amazing. And I cannot wait for you to get to meet her with your ears. <laughs> and on that note, let's get into the podcast episode.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the Dietitian Podcast. Today we have a special guest. We have another Balance Practice team member here. Hello, Katie. Hello. How are you doing today? I am good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm like really excited for us to connect because we get to work together, which is really exciting. And we have a really cool topic today to bring to you guys. Um, but before we get into talking about food access and relationship to food and all the good stuff, do you want to tell us maybe a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and what got you to do this work? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I am one of the non-diet weeks inclusive dietitians on the team. And um, so a lot of my role is working with folks one-on-one uh, -on -one to help support them in healing their relationship to food and body. Um, and also kind of helping with some of the groups that we run through our eating disorders program. Um, and so, you know, my, my like origin story is there's a, a few, I guess, twists and turns in it. Um, Interestingly enough, I actually didn't, when I applied for um, university, I wasn't thinking at all about being a dietitian. So I had actually applied to um, a number of like general bachelor of science programs. And so University of Guelph was the only place that I uh, applied for something different. Um, I was I was super convinced at the time that I wanted to go to University of Toronto and do a Bachelor of Science program. So that was kind of my plan. Um, and it was actually my mom who suggested that I apply for the Applied Human Nutrition Program at Guelph. Um, and a lot of that was because I, I had, in the few years prior, I had been going through a lot of like digestive stuff personally and um, really had developed a bit more of an interest in nutrition's role in supporting myself and kind of um, my, my health in that journey. And so I applied, but I really didn't have that much of an intention of going. And then I went to see the Guelph campus. So I visited, I had like four or five places that were on my list, um, had went to see all the campuses. Guelph was, I think, near the end. And it really, I just, it clicked immediately. Like it felt more like home than any of the other campuses I had looked at. And I think part of that is I grew up in a, a small town. So the campus isn't as spread out and just the vibe of Guelph as a city really just felt like a good fit for me. And so I changed my mind at the last minute and ended up accepting. I got an offer at Guelph and ended up accepting it. Um, so once I started, in, on that route, on that path, I never looked back or second guessed that decision. Um, so kudos to my mom for knowing yeah, me like, better than I knew myself at that point. Like, thank you, mom. Um, I ended up um, also doing my combined master's internship there as well. Um, so I did all my schooling at Guelph. I, you know, in terms of my career path, um, I actually lived in BC for like five months after I graduated. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah, I loved it there. But, um, you know, I, and I wrote my dietetic registration exam there. But when I was looking, I was, I knew after doing my internships that I was really interested in community nutrition, that I, it, that a hospital job wasn't so much a fit for me. And so at the time, Ontario had a lot more opportunities in that area. So I ended up um, moving back home and shortly thereafter started a position at a community health center. And I also worked very briefly in long-term care as well. Um, but then 
because community nutrition was my true passion when that community health center was able to offer me full-time hours, um, I left long-term care and spent 11 years with that CHC. So a lot of time. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of kind of, I guess, how that landed me here, um, I, you know, the CHC I worked at was in a, a city, but a smaller city. And they really didn't have any eating disorder programs or really much support for folks that were struggling. And I, you know, I would occasionally get referrals and kind of, or, you know, folks that would just disclose to me, they'd, they'd be referred for something else. And then when we were talking, I, I was worried there might be some risk or they disclosed to me that they had an eating disorder or history of an eating disorder. And I had no idea kind of where to suggest they seek out additional supports locally. A lot of folks that I worked with faced a lot of barriers to transportation and accessing programs outside of the city. Um, so going to like somewhere like Hamilton wasn't always feasible. And so I really didn't know what to offer them. And it was also around that same time um, that I was becoming more aware of this gap that I also was kind of starting to gradually shift my practice on my own that, you know, like many other non-diet dietitians, I didn't start my career using that non-diet approach, but I was kind of at a point there where I was realizing that more traditional approach that we're taught um, really wasn't working, didn't feel that helpful. And as I kind of later realized, the more I dove into that non-diet approach that it really was it was just further damaging their relationship with food and their body, which of course was like really a hard realization to come to. Um, so I ended up because I knew there was this gap and I was like, I feel like something's missing here. Um, there weren't a lot of outpatient dietitian services that were free in the community. So I, I, we got a lot of referrals and I just felt like I needed, I needed something to be able to provide some sort of support to these folks. Um, so I ended up signing up for an eating disorder course that was training specifically for dietitians, and things really just kind of snowballed from there. So I think shortly after I started that course um, was when I made the decision to really fully commit to and make that shift to that non-diet approach. And I, I still remember the moment really clearly. Um, I was, I was at an inpatient program at a local hospital um, doing, I had a kind of a regularly scheduled talk in their rotation for a group every like six weeks um, where I would come and just talk about the CHC services and then discuss a little bit of nutrition stuff. And so, you know, I usually ask the group what they wanted to talk about. And sometimes we would just have a more informal session just based off what they were asking. But if it was a quieter group, I always came prepared with something. And so in the past, um, doing a bit of kind of like nutrition myth busting factor fiction always seemed to go over really well with this group and kind of spark a lot of conversation. But on this particular visit, I had a um, staff member kind of pull me aside and let me know a couple of minutes before I was set to start that um, there was an individual in the group that was struggling with an eating disorder. And so they let me know, you know, the person was aware I was coming, was okay with it but I kind of panicked. I remember sort of freezing and thinking, oh, like, is there going to be anything I need to change about what I'm doing? And just be this, this moment of like uncertainty about like, I really don't want to do any harm. And so I'm like going through my notes, trying to figure out, do I adjust anything? Is there anything um, that I need to maybe just like say slightly differently just to be really careful. 
And um, so I think I did end up like cutting out a couple of the common questions that I get that I felt might be triggering. And then just, you know, went ahead with my presentation. A lot of my answers to the common questions were emphasizing, you know, balance and avoiding diet trends and that one food isn't healthier than another. So I was thinking like, ah, I'm like, I feel like this should be okay. And then a few minutes into the session, um, the individual left the room and they didn't come back. And I just remember feeling so terrible. And I was like, I, I'll never know for sure, but I was really worried that I was the reason that something I said was the reason they had left the room. So I know, you know, I'll never know, but I think in that moment, I thought, gosh, like, I don't want to be in this position again where I have to be kind of questioning that or um, worrying that my content needs to be adjusted in any way that I just, I really feel like there's got to be a different path. So it was really like a turning point for me mm -hmm. that I wanted to, and really like lit a fire me to be like, I need to find a better way to support folks. That's not going to feel triggering. Um, and, you know, just like, even though the intent was never there to trigger someone that I just, right. Like I just was like this, 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 these types of approaches that were often taught in school, like just aren't, aren't working. And I kind of had already been like heading in that direction, but I think that was really, if I were to pinpoint one thing, that was the yeah. thing. Yeah, no. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it always makes me think it's like, you know, like we obviously don't want to trigger folks with ED. Like we want to be conscious of it. And a lot of the things that we would be conscious of, of like, I don't want to speak this word that way. Like it's also very beneficial for general population to talk, not to talk about food in that way or bodies in that way, but it's so different than what we're taught, which is such a weird, uh, every time I think about like my bachelor's degree, I'm like, gosh, <laughs> like, we've, we've gone very far from that, but thank you so much for sharing. Like, I think that's so cool that you were able to have that own kind of shift to see like the way that I'm currently practicing doesn't work. And I think it's hard. And I don't know if it was like that for you. Like for me, there was definitely a lot of grief, um, especially kind of like realizing the damage that I may have caused, right? Like realizing like, yeah, I used to promote weight loss. And what was that like? And how did people feel when they were sitting in front of me? And I was this like person saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like do this and do that. And I find like that, that piece sometimes is hard to be like, no, it's okay. Like we all start there. And yeah. then when we know better, we do better. I always think like, I wish I could send out a letter to all of those people <laughs> and be like, I am so sorry. You deserve yes. better. Yes. Right? Like just, yeah. oh, I know it's so yeah. true, but I think it's such a common experience for, for folks that practice with that non-diet approach that a lot of us, that's not where we started. And just like, you're right. It is almost like a grief of like, just feeling the feels and like sitting yeah. in that suck of like that is so unfortunate that that's how we're trained and also so amazing that we're still able to find the resources now to like shift and do better and that there's a growing community of support around like doing things yeah. differently yeah a hundred percent and now you're at the bounds practice doing amazing Yay. work so folks who have ed and disordered eating and just really working from this anti-diet way inclusive space like that's just what we do and how we do it <laughs> That is awesome. Well, I'm really pumped because today we want to talk more about that piece of like food relationship. I also remember the first time I heard someone say like relationship to food and I was like, I never thought about the way I eat and how I think about food to be a relationship, you know, like it's such a cool 
way that we talk about it. So we'd love to talk about that. And then also maybe some of the different challenges of access to care and is having a good relationship with food accessible to everyone, or is that maybe not? Um, but let's start maybe with just kind of defining like to you, like what is a relationship with food? Like, what does that mean? So I think to me, it's, you know, it's less about what we eat and more about how we engage with food and how we feel about it. So it really to me, it encompasses like how we interact with food from selecting to preparing to consuming, how we feel about all those experiences, how much time and mental space that relationship takes up for us relative to, you know, other areas of our life and just, you know, the roles that food plays in our life and, and knowing that that relationship is often very much influenced by the messages we're exposed to in our environment, as well as the experiences that we have that are going to either reinforce or reject those messages. Yeah. Ooh, I love that so much. I love that. It's not really about what we eat, but the how behind it. And I think that's so interesting um and I know I don't know if it's like that for you as well but I know with clients it's often kind of like very rarely do I tell clients like hey veggies are great <laughs> you know like it's not really about the food it's like everything that comes behind it and every thoughts and feelings and behaviors and beliefs and all of that like core work that we that we do which is the exact opposite of what I think a lot of times traditionally we're stereotyped as what they're expecting from a dietitian is just to be like, here's your meal plan. Here's what to have. Yeah. And we're good to go. And there's like so much, so much more to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to be a food police and tell you if it's good or bad or like red, yellow, green. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love, I love the phrase, like, we're like, we're not, no, we're not that type of dietitian. I feel like I use that way too often. <laughs> no, not, not that kind of dietitian. Sorry. No, well, I for sure have had folks at the end were like, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. This isn't, you know, that's not, I didn't realize dietitians did that. Right. Like I didn't yeah. realize those were conversations we could have, um, yeah. which is always really cool. And you're like, and yes, makes me so happy. I'm like, yes, yeah, breaking like, down that misconception one person at a time. A hundred percent. And I'd love for us to maybe talk about misconceptions of like, what is a good relationship with food? Like what, what would you say maybe are myths or like, what is maybe portrayed by social media of like, this is what you should aim for versus what actually could that be like? Yeah. So I think there's a couple that come to mind. I think, um, you know, as you just mentioned, social media, I think can really skew our perception. Um, And I think there are a lot of influencers and bloggers that are highlighting images of stack containers of prepped foods and lots of, you know, beautiful colors. And they look appealing visually, chock full of foods that are kind of labeled as quote unquote healthy. And there can be, I think, this assumption that, oh, you know, they must have a healthy relationship with food. They must have a good relationship with food. And that really the reality is that social media in general, we only see what someone chooses to show us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't often get that full story of what is going on with them in terms of that relationship with food and um, otherwise in their lives. And knowing that it's very possible that you know any of these individuals could have a really disordered relationship with food. Um, so I think acknowledging that 
again, it's not just about the, the what, um, but also how they're engaging with food and that relationship and how it makes them feel um, that we don't, we don't see or aren't able to glean necessarily from what we see online. I think another thing is that, you know, which I often highlight to folks is we're made to feel that a, someone must have a bad relationship with food or a negative relationship if they emotionally eat, which I definitely don't think is accurate. And I know, I think it's probably been said on this podcast before, but I'm going to repeat it for anyone listening that emotional eating isn't bad or wrong and that you are not wrong for doing it. So I think normalizing it, that it's a normal experience. I think if, you know, if we think about it, we probably all had at some point yeah. and that we really may find that there are times when food does feel like the most compassionate option for coping with whatever emotions we're facing, whatever's going on for us. And I think really the reason I imagine that emotional eating gets tied to that negative relationship with food and sort of that association is made is because there is often a lot of shame and guilt around these experiences because we're made to feel that engaging in emotional eating is somehow a reflection of, you know, a lack of willpower, some flaw in our character that makes us, you know, unable to control ourselves around food. Yeah. When really it's it's diet culture and the messaging of that idea of good foods, bad foods, right and wrong ways to eat that really just keeps fueling this idea that we should only eat when we're hungry, stop when we're full. Emotional eating is not okay or normal. Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because it's like a myth of having a good relationship with food would, would mean that like food is just fuel, that you get to the point where like food is only for nourishment. Um, but it is a hundred percent a myth, like you said, because like food and eating in general is such an emotionally loaded experience and it's cool. Like it's, it's an okay thing. It's a good thing, but you're, you're a hundred percent, right. I see that. Like you said it and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I feel like that is such a myth too. I also see, um, I think sometimes when we think of like having a good relationship with food, I think it can go to both extremes. Like I think some folks can see that as like, good relationship with food means you're always eating good foods, quote unquote, like that you're eating like in a way that's like super health promoting and you're always choosing the quote unquote right foods for your body. Like that means that you have a good relationship with food. And on the opposite end too, I think maybe it's what is being portrayed in the social, in, in the social media. Oh my God, I sound so old <laughs> in social media. It's like my partner who's always like, let me talk to you about the Facebook. And I'm like, it's not the Facebook, it's just Facebook. <laughs> But yeah, so on the opposite end of things, I think it's always it's like some people may view as like good relationship to food is eating foods that are quote unquote, you know, not as nourishing or, you know, it's like allowing yourself to eat all of the foods, but maybe it's kind of that, like, I can eat this all the time. And it's like a lot of like, I know, like I used to do that a lot on my social media. Like I would always show when I ate pizza and donuts, right. Cause I wanted people yeah. to know that it's okay. But then sometimes we can perceive that good relationship to food is maybe also meaning that you always need to eat those foods and it's not that either right it's kind of like that middle ground that we find of like how I feel about it my thoughts about it and just it's so personal like I like it it's less for show it's more like the inside work behind it exactly it's like we draw almost too much attention one way or the other and it's like can we just like not focus on other there's so many other things in life right so many other things that could bring us joy that we could be spending our time and energy on and like less on 
yeah, one end of the spectrum or the other, like feeling this need to validate those choices and rather just like eat, eat and, yeah. and, and do the other things, right. And not feel, yeah, not feel like we have to, we have to kind of answer for those choices yeah. or, or be kind of, again, promoting kind of one end of the spectrum or the other that we're able to just exist with food peacefully yeah. and not have to think about it so much. Oh, I love that so much. And the last one that I want to bring up just because like, I hear this with parents all of the time with clients is that having a good relationship with food doesn't mean that you're always loving and enjoying all the food that you eat and they need to be like Instagram worthy and like super appealing all of the time. <laughs> And like living in this world that like every meal needs to be placed on your plate and you must like have so much joy from eating all of the time. Not necessarily like great when we do, like I think food must be enjoyed. Like it's such a great part of our life. And also um, it's not always the case, right? Like not all meals are like Instagram worthy. Like it's oh. definitely okay that some are just okay. I feel like it's almost impossible. That's almost setting oh. up an impossible standard that yeah. we're going to have experiences where, yeah, we, we try something maybe new and don't love it where we, um, you know, we're dining with others and maybe don't have access to like the, the choices that we would prefer. Right. And I think those are all very normal experiences. Like it's okay too. It doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong if we don't love every meal that like that's so normal because it's and it's part of learning ourselves and our our taste preferences and what works and doesn't work for us and the only way to grow that area and sort of learn those things is by trying right and some of those things just aren't going to work for you and that's totally okay yeah no I love that so so much so I'd love for us to talk maybe a little bit more about you know when we're building a healthy relationship with food or a good relationship with food Uh, but then also like access to food and what challenges we may see there. But before we get into like those challenges, could we talk a little bit about maybe the role of access to food and what does that actually mean? Like access to food, like what are we actually talking about here? Yeah. So I think to me, like access is about having access to enough food to nourish ourselves adequately. And so that can tie into both the affordability of food, which certainly we've seen in the last few years, like food prices are spiking and a lot of things are much, much more than it has in previous years. So like I know at my previous job at the CHC, um, we worked fairly closely with the health unit on various things and they always did a, um, like a food basket, kind of an assessment of like food costs and how they were changing. Um, and so there were often increases, right? But it just seems like in the last few years, it's been much more significant and that impacts the choices people have, right? And, and kind of what they're able to fit into their budget. Um, and I think the other piece of access is also spatially how much access, how close um, food options are for you, how, how far it is to the nearest like grocery store, like how many grocery stores you have in your area or markets or places where you can access and purchase that food. Um, So I think both of those pieces to me are parts of um, how accessible food is to an individual is both the cost and just like the amount of options they have to, to get that food in their area. Mm -hmm. Um, And before we talk about challenges, I'd love to know, like, why is this important? Like, why do we want to talk about access? Like, why is this a topic that is relevant to think about when we're thinking about like the work that we do when it's like the healing work with our relationship with food? 
I think, you know, one of the things that I'll often point out to folks is really trying to meet them where they're at and acknowledging that, well, I don't discount, obviously I'm not, I'm in this field because I believe in nutrition having a role, but also that that isn't often the only factor or even the most important factor that we need to consider when we're making food choices, that um, it's not going to land for someone if I'm suggesting all of these these things that just don't fit into their budget, that they don't feel are accessible to them, that, um, you know, availability wise in their community, maybe they don't have a lot of access to those particular types of food um, that aren't culturally relevant for them, right? So I think it's really important to think about when someone is making food choices, um, mm -hmm. you know, they may, they may be in a space where they're able to consider the things that are going to maybe support their health. Um, their taste preferences, and that's great. But also there are some other practical pieces around cost, convenience, availability um, that have to factor in. And so I think it's really important for nutrition professionals and just in general, when we're talking about food with folks um, that we don't wanna be missing the mark by suggesting things that are just out of reach for them because then that, that can lead to a lot of shame if they're not able to follow through. Um, or them just feeling like we're not on the same page and not wanting to continue with care. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And it's like getting back to what you said, like the first thing, like it's not about what we eat, but how we eat. And if we ignore access to food, if we don't like personalize that, like even like healing relationship to food, to the individual's context and situation, like we're, we're a hundred percent missing the mark, right? Like we're trying to make, like not all food relationship will look the same, just the same way that like, your relationship with your partner is very different from your friend's relationship with their partner. Like we all have these different relationships so context really, really matters. Hey, hey friends. I hope that you are loving this podcast episode. So talking about access, our practice has started something so different. So if you've been listening to the podcast or following me on IG, you may know about this but we just started a food freedom membership. And the goal of this food freedom was to provide access. So the Food Freedom Club is a club where we do the healing work as part of a community. You get access to modules, content, and workbook to support you in this journey, as well as the most loving and supporting community and a community coach to help you through this process. We wanted to have this community because we wanted to have an offer that is more accessible. So you can join the Food Freedom Club for only $44, Canadian taxes included a month. So we are so, so, so excited to be able to offer this lower cost um, community for you if you are wanting to do this work, if you have the capacity, the accessibility to do this work, here's where you can join us inside this community. The Food Freedom Club was created by myself and the team to really support you in having a good relationship with food, but not only that, really feeling empowered, right? We want to leave diet culture behind, but we also want to feel good about the way that we're able to honor 
our satisfaction, our preferences, and also honor our body. So if this is you, if you are ready to have true food freedom and you want to be part of the most loving and supporting community out there, I'm going to invite you to join us in the Food Freedom Club. So you can go to www.foodfreedomclub.ca and join us today, be part of our community. We cannot wait to support you through this journey. And now let's get back to the episode. So I'd love to ask to, to dive deeper into like, what are some maybe common challenges that we could have when we're trying to navigate our relationship with food and like access as well? So, you know, working at a, a CHC, I definitely, it's, it's so unfortunate. Like I know almost every day I witnessed how being able to have access to a wide variety of foods that are enjoyable, picking, you know, what someone truly desired to eat on any given day, having enough food available to eat when they were hungry and being able to continue eating until they were full were privileges really that a lot of individuals that were facing food insecurity, just, they often don't have. Um, and so, you know, I also worked with a lot of clients that didn't have a lot of financial resources, perhaps not only to access food, but also, to access like cooking equipment to prepare food or didn't have health insurance to cover dental care and how that impacted them being able to eat that wider variety of foods safely and comfortably. So a lot of different layers to consider. Um, and then in addition to financial constraints, when we talk about that other piece of access in terms of where the stores are and how close they are, a lot of folks may have difficulty accessing adequate food because of things like transportation barriers, like having the means to get to and from a food store market, whatever it is to purchase that food, or perhaps, you know, physical limitations where they weren't able to carry those groceries into their home on their own. And so some individuals are really lucky that they had enough support, someone maybe who could drive them to and from the store who could would pick up groceries on their behalf and drop them off, who would help them carry, you know, some people were living and they had multiple stairs to, to go up to get to their home. So having someone to help them carry that food, but not everyone. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges in these kinds of situations is when we're talking about that relationship to food and kind of looking at, you know, Ellen Satter has the hierarchy of food needs. I can imagine that it's really hard to be thinking about things like selecting foods that honor your taste buds and what might support someone's body and their health best when those bottom layers of the pyramid around having enough access to enough food and acceptable food aren't in place. And also that third layer of kind of that security of knowing you have reliable ongoing access to food. And when that isn't there, that I can imagine that makes it really hard to not spend a lot of time thinking and stressing over food when you don't know if you're going to be able to to get in what your body needs in that day to not have moments of reaching that point of extreme hunger um, and just kind of being able to to tune in and respond to those those cues that your body is giving you when the food just isn't there mm -hmm. so I think oftentimes with these clients the steps that I was taking to try and really strengthen that relationship with food was more about gaining access to enough as that baseline foundation to really 
ensure that their body was biologically fed, that they can hopefully start mm-hmm. to rebuild some of that trust of just knowing that they're going to have enough. Um, and also really trying to create a space, which we sort of already talked a bit about, right, that we're, we're honoring those, those nutrition goals that honor their genuine likes and dislikes, that we're not pushing them to eat things like beans because they're lower cost, if they really have no interest in doing so, right, that I'm not kind of ignoring what might, might bring them some satisfaction in eating. Um, And I think, you know, sometimes in that quest for ensuring that someone's eating enough, we can lose sight of those other pieces and forget that we really want to still create experiences that are satisfying if possible. You know, we know we said not all meals will be, but I think for the, a lot of these folks, there are a lot of spaces that they're in like community meals or food banks where they're going to feel like they don't have a lot of choice. And so I think really the more we can as much as possible, try to respect those preferences when we're working with them and the plan that we create and really trying to reduce shame around having more like convenience foods in their diet or more processed foods and, and just really reminding them that the goal is to be able to kind of get through that month and have enough to feel, to feel our body and that that is okay. However, that needs to look in terms of that, those ideas of balance and variety that for some people that isn't something that feels in reach as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I love how you brought in the food hierarchy. Um, I'll try to post a photo when this podcast comes out so you guys can see what we're talking about. It's almost like that, that Maslow pyramid. Is it Maslow? Maslow yeah I think that's what it's It's similar yeah yeah so it's like you need to get to it's almost like to get to the top of the pyramid you need to start with that level one like you can't get to the peak if you didn't start at the bottom but at the bottom is access so it's like it's really really hard to talk about intuitive eating and like connecting to your body if you don't know if you're gonna have food for dinner so like it, it just puts yeah it really puts things into perspective and seeing those priorities of like Yes, like working on a food relationship and having a great relationship to food, not dieting, more connecting to our body is amazing. And it's also a privilege that we have that we're able to do that because we do have those levels beforehand of like we do have that access. So when that is not there, again, the context matters like that food relationship needs to look different because it doesn't truly matter as much, you know. And I really feel like I don't, I don't recall if any of my clients ever voiced it out loud, but my imagining has always been that I think not all, but probably a number of the challenges, if someone in that kind of a situation were to feel like they had a negative relationship with food, I would wonder how many of those those challenges are coming up related to the external pressure that they feel to eat in a certain way. And that somehow they feel like they're failing um, because they don't have the access to the resources they need to eat in that way, that they're constantly feeling like I can't, I can't follow through with those expectations and how different it might be for them if they were receiving more messages of kind of meeting them where they're at, promoting that all foods have value and really acknowledging again, some of those other layers that are making it more complex for them to make the food choices maybe that they would want to. and, And knowing that, yes, we do have to consider the cost and the convenience and availability and all these other things that complicate um, those grocery trips for you, right? That you have to, that you can't just ignore. 
Um, and that those are all really relevant parts of the conversation that I think that could really reduce a lot of the like shame and the stress about their food choices because there wouldn't be so much of this comparison of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what maybe my healthcare providers told me what, I, what I'm seeing online that I'm supposed to be doing. And that feels so far out of reach. And I feel like, you know, I can't, I can't pursue any changes here. It just feels like I'm, I'm bound to fail. Right. And how that, how that mindset can be so damaging for folks if that's where they're feeling that kind of helplessness, hopelessness. Yeah. And like a lot of layers of shame there too, of like, I just can't, it's not attainable. I can't possibly get there. Um, I'd love to go on a tangent for a moment because <laughs> you also talked about food insecurity, which is kind of like this whole piece of access, right? Like when we think of food insecurity is exactly what you say, like not knowing if and when we'll be able to eat, um, which can create a lot of stress. And I wanted to go on a tangent because we often talk about this with our clients as well, how restriction for a really long period of time can also create that type of like psychological food insecurity. Um, and I want to talk about it because I know this like personal experience, like I felt this way very intensely. Um, and I know that a lot of folks with ED may also, or just disordered eating, or just in general, if you have been a chronic dieter, we can feel that way too. When you have not allowed yourself access, right? So you may have maybe financial access to the foods, but you're not actually allowing yourself access to the foods. Like you're, you are restricting, you're not, um, yeah, you're not really at that top of pyramid where you're like able to connect to your body and listening. You are in this space that we can start creating this like food insecurity that we can start feeling insecure around food choices of, will I have enough? Am I going to allow myself to eat enough to meet my needs? Right. Or if you're someone who maybe are a higher restrictor, like, Am I going to have the meal or not have the meal? And I just wanted to bring that up because um, I know in my days when I did not have a good relationship with food and that when I was in the process of healing my relationship with food, that piece came out so much for me that I had so much insecurity around if I was going to get food or not. And it wasn't super conscious, like thinking that I was food insecure, but it's almost like our body remembers, like it's such a big trauma to the body when we are restricting that when I did have access to food, um, it would often lead me to want to overconsume because I was so afraid of not having access later on or kind of like that last supper feeling of like, I will not allow myself to do the same tomorrow or I, I will not have that ability to do that tomorrow. So I just found that like very, very interesting how often when we think of different restrictions, when it's like physical restrictions of like not actually having access or not having the food versus psychological restrictions, sometimes it can kind of lead to that same endpoint though, where we do start feeling insecure and like that relationship with food can feel just like very, very tense. I don't know if you've seen that with the folks that you work with too, but it's definitely a theme that come up often with me. No, I love that. That's so true. And I think that yeah, that body trust, right? Like that element of like when we are not biologically fed and that the body doesn't know it can trust, it's going to get enough often enough that um, whether it's physical or psychological can have, I imagine a lot of the, a lot of the same impacts, right? In terms yeah. of like how our body responds and the things that it does. Um, and like you said, that body memory of like this, even once we're, you know, in a point of recovery and past that point that, mm -hmm. um, or have become more food secure, right. That it's still that, that past history of like, this has happened 
Um, yeah. and that maybe that lingering fear of, of that kind of shifting mm-hmm. back into that or having that come up again. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I'll just add a quick tip and then we'll move on. But if that's you and you do have access, I know something for me that was really, really helpful is like, I always needed to have a snack on me at all times during that period of healing, because I needed to know that if I were hungry, there was always something available. And like, it was like, I literally had to train my brain again to be like, there is food available for me if I need it. Like if, if you're in that zone anyways, that you do have that access to food, but maybe you're like psychologically feeling more um, insecure with food, like that could be something that could be helpful too. Um, but okay, let's just get back to our main conversation. <laughs> Sidetrack here to talk oh, about diet culture. Love the tangents. <laughs> I welcome them. <laughs> gosh, gosh, gosh. Um, so I just wanted to finish up on talking about how, I mean, there's such a narrative about, you know, what a healthy relationship looks like, what a healthy body looks like. And you've talked a lot about this piece around shame, right? That we can feel shame because if it's not attainable for us, like we can't get there. Like there's so much pressure to do this. I'm just curious to know if you have any tips for folks who are listening to how we can maybe start challenging some of that or reduce some of the shame. And like, like you said, like you meet your clients where they're at, like how they can maybe start meeting themselves where they're at. Yeah. So I think I've definitely heard this a number of times and in a number of places, and it always sticks with me is this idea that we weren't born with these ideas, right? That these were these thoughts, these beliefs or things that unfortunately we have inherited from exposure to diet culture over time. And that sometimes, you know, these may be messages that have become so normalized in our society and so deeply ingrained from hearing them so many times that we don't really stop to question them or ask ourselves, like, where did those labels come from and what value are they actually offering us? And so I think when I kind of bring this up with folks, when I kind of notice them using some of that language of like healthy, unhealthy, I'll often have a bit of a conversation. And I think for a lot of people challenging these messages that they've been hearing about food and body potentially from like a really young age can can feel really overwhelming. Um, And just acknowledging that it's not something that happens overnight, that it takes a lot of time to unlearn all of that diet culture and start being able to kind of shift our perspective on food and body, that if that has been the track and the tape playing in your mind for many years, um, it's unfair to expect ourselves to just like be able to kind of make that shift immediately because like I said, a lot of these messages are potentially really deeply ingrained in our beliefs. Um, so knowing that it takes time and that it's really an ongoing journey. Like, I don't think there is an end point at which we can say, okay, like it's totally clear and I've let go of all of those messages because even when we've built up some ways to challenge them and have buffered ourselves, um, we're still unfortunately going to be exposed in some way at some point that it's, I think, pretty hard with where we're at right now as a society to totally avoid that diet culture messaging. So there's always going to be opportunities for it to sneak back in um, and need for us to kind of re, um, rebuffer ourselves perhaps, or sort of have uh, new strategies in place to be able to challenge maybe some of those new messages. So I think my encouragement to folks 
really in starting this shift would be really just to start noticing where is diet culture popping up in your day today, knowing that it can be super sneaky at times. Uh, so it takes a bit of work, I think, to even be able to identify all of the sources. Mm-hmm. And then really thinking about how might we maybe start to buffer ourselves a bit from these messages, seek out more balanced or supportive messages, and also maybe thinking about the role we can play in buffering others. So things like not posting or reposting diet culture messages, not Mm -hmm. commenting on people's food choices or body, which again, I think has come up on this podcast before. And that once we've done a bit of that sort of buffering for ourselves, maybe reduce the noise, um, that that noise of diet culture has died down a bit for us in our space, mm-hmm. that that might be where we have a bit more space to be able to reflect on the messages with more of a critical eye, kind of start working on building up that voice to challenge them, and also being able to better listen and hear our body's voice and tune into that better in terms of kind of being able to understand what it's trying to tell us it needs when we don't have so much of that, the loudness of diet culture right in our face. Yes. Like you guys cannot see me, but the whole time he's talking, I'm like bumping my head. I'm like, (laughs) yes, 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 yes to all of it. Um, and it's not, like I say, like, it's not the most easy work. Cause you're right. Like we live in diet culture and it is like doable for all of us. And, but I think that piece of like bringing awareness first is just really, really important. But, and once you see it, you cannot unsee it. It's just, it's just there. So true. It's yeah. So true. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. I think this was such a good topic for us to talk about so many different layers when we think of our food relationship. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here um, and tell folks like, where can they find you if they want to work with you? What does that look like? Um, yeah, so I am, you're able to go on the balance practice website and um, book an appointment with me individually And, you know, like I mentioned, I'm also part of and help with some of the items in the uh, eating disorders program that we run that's super cool. Um, So definitely able to apply for that as well through our website. Um, So that is, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yay, amazing. And all that will be linked in the show notes, guys. And also just like quick, quick mention, folks in Ontario only, unfortunately, we can only help folks across Ontario. But if you are in Ontario, definitely reach out to us because we can support you anything food relationship wise. Um, And then let's finish up with our fun questions. Number one being what is your favorite food? So I it's funny, some of these are harder questions for me, because I'm like, how do I pick just one? (laughs) um I think I have a number of them but I think if I'm honest with myself of like which is the most I think has been the most enduring that's like probably a lifelong thing um would be peanut butter I love peanut butter (laughs) yes that would definitely be in my top three for sure as well crunchy or not crunchy or smooth so I I would say crunchy would have been my preference. Once I had a young child, we started buying smooth because I mean, he probably can do crunchy now, but for a while there, I wasn't really able to. So I'm okay with either, but crunchy would be my, my choice. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Um, so I feel like this is probably a tip. I thought about this one a lot and I feel like this feels like such a dietitian answer, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's real to who I am. Um, I think healing 
So I know that this superpower, like it's typically about healing physical injuries or ailments, but I feel it tight, like the work we do, we're trying to help support clients in healing, not just their body, but also that relationship with food and body. So I think that physical healing piece would be a nice round out of that and would really pair wonderfully with all the emotional and mental healing that we're trying to do through the work we do with folks. Oh, I love that so, so much. Um, <laughs> and what is your favorite way to self-care? Um, so I, I will be fully honest. I feel like I struggle with this more now with a young child and finding that space for myself. So any other moms out there, I hear you. I feel you. It's tough sometimes. But I think for me, it's the simple things like as someone who is a bit of an introvert naturally in a job where I spend a lot of time talking with others and as a mom with a busy young kid, I just really value time to recharge and be like quiet and still. So things like having like a warm bubble bath where no one comes and is bugging me, like I just can sit and like often I don't even read or watch anything. I just sit in my thoughts and just sit is really restorative for me. Um, so those are often my go-tos because they feel accessible and realistic for my lifestyle and schedule. Yeah, no, I love that so, so much. And last question for you, because this is a balanced dietitian program and we work with balanced practice. What does the balance mean to you? So I think for me, um, it's, you know, having things that I'm passionate about, that challenge me to learn and grow. That's really part of who I am. I'm a learner and um, always wanting to, to know more and to be able to do more. And also having enough space in my day to day to just exist, be able to enjoy the moment I'm in, whether that's like with my family or sometimes also needs to be on my own and just do the things that restore me to be able to do that hard work to have the bandwidth to do the learning and growing and weather those like harder moments, harder days. Mm, I love that. Like the push and pull and rest, like being able to kind of leave space for all of these aspects of you. That is so, so good. Well, thank you again so, so much for being on the podcast. This was such a good conversation. Um, and everybody listening, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate, review and share it with your friends. On that note, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye.